This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Thank you so much for being with us, for watching via the live stream. So glad you're with us. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. No jokes today. No? No jokes. We might slip one or two in. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're in a series on 1 Peter, which seems to be serving us very well. This is God's Word. This is God's inspired Word. It's for His people. It's for His church. And it's a gift to us. What a joy it is now to turn our attention to these verses. We'll begin reading in verse 8, which Stephen covered last week, but just for context. And then we'll read down through verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I think our main point today is the Lord is calling us and reminding us that we're to live in this unbelieving world as people who fear the Lord. We're to live in this unbelieving world that is so often now hostile to our faith as people who fear the Lord. I saw an article this week about optimist clubs. Caught my attention because Sherry's Uncle Harry, her only family member that I think liked me, was a member of the optimist club. It was... It was Started 110 years ago, I learned. It's now an international organization. You've probably heard of it. And it's, it's survived. It's the Optimist Club. And it's survived two world wars, the Great Depression, 
all kinds of miseries and disasters over the decades, and they've remained optimistic. <laughs> but apparently this past year has been challenging with this pandemic. All the political divisions in our country and all the other things going on, it's been difficult for the Optimus Club. They are dying off. They are getting older, apparently. Even Uncle Harry died in 2020. The Optimus Clubs were founded with a mission, I learned, to help youth who were in trouble with the law. They wanted to give these troubled youths a, a picture, an optimistic picture of the future that would motivate them so they would live their young lives in a way that wouldn't lead to ruin. It wouldn't throw their whole life away. So I've been thinking that's, that's why Uncle Harry was nice to me. <laughs> Today there are 2,500 chapters throughout the world. Here's a fun fact. There are 17 Optimus Clubs in Nepal. Makes you optimistic, doesn't it? But individual chapters have been closing at alarming rate. They, they peaked in the 90s. There's been a steady decline. Lots of local chapters have closed since last fall with the pandemic. The president of the Optimist Clubs International remains optimistic. He says they just need to stick to their mission, promote optimism as a way of life. He says it's proven in studies that's good for you health-wise. You live longer if you're optimistic. Another leader in the group said he thinks they'll survive because people are searching for optimism. They want to be, they want a reason to, to be hopeful for the future. He says it's, it's a needed, their mission is needed. And who could disagree with that? But as I read this, I, th I thought, you know, the $64,000 question is, why should anybody be optimistic? Our, our world is a dark place. And the reason it's a dark place is because that's reality. Even the optimist clubs are shutting down. Reality of life in a fallen world does not encourage optimism for the future. Which means it's a great moment in history to be believers. To have a living hope. We know truth that gives us hope for the future. And we know the resurrected Christ and he gives us an assurance of this living hope, a certainty. We see a different reality. The world is hostile towards us, but the world needs the message of hope that we have more than ever before. We need to stick to our mission. We need to bring the gospel to the world around us. This world that's characterized by unbelief, that's hostile to our faith. Don't let the hostility fool you. We live in a world 
that opposes our faith, but our faith is just what they need. And our calling is to live in this unbelieving world as people who fear the Lord. So here in 1 Peter 3, Peter who's writing to believers who are in circumstances like ours, even worse, he begins in verse 8, finally all of you. Now he's going to talk to everybody. Last week the focus was on our relationships with one another. In our text today, Peter's talking to all of us and he's giving exhortations to the churches he's writing to about how to produce an impression on a hostile world. How, how to influence, how to win a world that opposes your faith. Since chapter 2, all throughout chapter 2, he's been giving guidance. He's been teaching certain groups. He's been giving encouragement. Christians who are citizens in an ungodly uh, country, who have an emperor that is ungodly, he's teaching them how to relate to these authority figures. He talked to servants about how to relate to their masters' wives, their unbelieving husbands, husbands, how to serve their wives. And now it's, it's everyone. Verse 8, to sum up, finally, all of you, all of you, these are instructions for each and every one of us. Verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain blessing. We're going to, he grounds this in Psalm 34. We're going to look at three points from this verse. And then we're going to conclude by going to Psalm 34, which is one of my favorite psalms, and just have fun. So verse 9, three points. Number one, you should not respond to hostility with hostility. You should not respond to hostility with hostility. Does that sound relevant? <laughs> Absolutely. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling or insulting. Don't return an insult for an insult. He's He's focusing on, he's addressing both our conduct, our behavior, and our words. And he's saying, don't repay evil for evil in both. We don't need to be taught how to return an insult for an insult. It's very natural, isn't it? But, but to not return evil for evil or insult for insult, it takes a miracle. We have to be transformed by the grace of God. If we're going to respond to a hostile world differently, we need grace. This is not, what he describes here in verse 9, is not what you can do on your own. You don't just get up one day and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to be this kind of person. It's, it's a miracle. It's so opposed to the sinful nature if you're paying attention and you're watching the world around us, you just see this in action. There's just no hope. They're, they're going to respond by insulting those who insult them, aren't they? 
you got to be born again to do this. The good news is he has caused us to be born again. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were sons of disobedience. We were living based on the passions of our sinful nature. We carried out these desires of our sinful nature. But God was rich in mercy. He loved us. He had mercy on us. He made us alive together with Christ. He caused us to be born again. And now we're new creations. We have a new redeemed nature. We're different. And by grace, we've been raised with Christ. There's a new life that we have. It's not our own doing. It's, it's by his grace. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works like not respond with an insult when we're insulted. So we can respond different. Peter learned about this supernatural living when he was a disciple of Jesus Christ for over three years when he lived with him and he watched the Son of God incarnate live differently. And Jesus taught his disciples, this is how my people are going to live. His most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Takes a miracle. Luke chapter 6, I say to you who here love your enemies, do, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. That's why Peter's teaching us these things. Because the Lord Jesus Christ that he was following taught him these things. Again, Luke 6, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful. Be merciful. Even as your Father is merciful. This is the way that Jesus lived, and we're to follow him. Look, look back in chapter 2, verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. He's our example. What Peter is teaching us in verse 9 is to be Christ-like. In our world today, evil is returned for evil so that evil is only multiplied. It increases. It just keeps going up. It's not restrained. We should not participate in promoting evil. One commentator, one of my favorites on 1 Peter, Edmund Hybert, he said, to 
break the vicious change, someone must voluntarily endure evil without retaliation. Someone's got to do it. It's us. We're called to do this. To break the vicious change. He was a Mennonite. He went deaf when he was 36 from having a fever. I like his commentary because I, I find him humble. He's very smart. He's, he's good with the text. He loves the Bible. But especially in these areas as a Mennonite or a pacifist, I felt like he really gets this. He's a humble man. To break the vicious chain, some, someone's got to voluntarily endure the evil. Someone's got to decide not to retaliate. Peter says it's us. We're the ones. You know, he, he especially likes to focus on this, the sins of speech, which I think is important for us. We can have enough self-control not to punch somebody out. But controlling the tongue, especially if we think this applies to social media. It's going to take the power of God, isn't it? It applies to political discourse. You know, really, social media has become the main place for us to apply these verses, isn't it? It, it makes, it, social media makes returning an insult for an insult so easy. You don't even have to look at the person. You don't even see them. You just type it out. But as one commentator said, to, to render an insult for an insult is to think to wash off dirt with dirt. Those God has caused to be born again should not retaliate. They should let God take care of evil. So, tweet no evil. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Look, it's going to take a supernatural work of the Spirit. But we're optimistic, aren't we? Because of the grace of God. We, we believe the Lord can do this. It's just what the world around us needs to see. It's what will commend the gospel and make it attractive. Second point that Peter makes is even more challenging. You should bless those who are hostile to you. Don't just refrain from not insulting those who insult you, bless them. <laughs> On the contrary, bless, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. You have to tweet something nice. You have to post something nice. You have to say something nice. You have to actually bless those who are hostile to you. This is the way we are called to respond to evil deeds and insults. So what happens when somebody cuts you off in traffic? You hit the brakes. Oh, you know, more room for you? You put an end to the cycle of evil. This is what we're called. It's our calling. 
Peter is thinking back to their conversion. It's the fourth time in this epistle that he's made a reference to the fact that God has called us. It's so good to be called. It gives you a vision for your life. Gives you a purpose, a mission. Verse, chapter 1, verse 15. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our mission. We've been called. Clearly, Peter believes it's critical for us to understand you were called. You have a mission. What is your calling? Everybody in this room who's a believer, what is your calling? Do you have a vision for your life? Why are you here? What are you doing? Where are you going? How are you going to live to fulfill your calling? What are the plans for your life and your family? Isn't it good to have an answer to those questions? We are called by God. Some people are concerned with their vocational calling, their occupation, their career, but, but they kind of miss this calling that people, Peter is talking about here, it's really foundational. You do have a calling for an occupation, for a career. Whatever you're doing now, you are called to do that. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. You're called to do it. It's important. It's so helpful when you have a career. There's no such thing as a dead-end job. I have a calling Regardless of what I'm doing, I want to do it for the Lord. I'm called to do this. But foundational to your career is this truth that God's called you out of the darkness of the world. He's given you his marvelous light that the world around you does not have. And you cannot succeed in your career. You cannot succeed in your vocation without understanding and remembering this calling. You're going to miss it if you miss this. You're called to bless those around you. Bless those even when it's a hostile world against your faith. You're called to bless. And finally, he says, you'll be blessed with a happy life. You'll see what I mean when we finish Psalm 34. You'll be blessed with a, a happy life. The final point he makes here is if we don't return evil for evil, if we follow Christ, we're, we're going to inherit, we're going to obtain a blessing. So our motivation for living differently isn't just to avoid the negative. It's this promise of blessing. You, NASB says, one translation of the Bible, you were called, very literal, you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. This glorious call to inherit a blessing means you, you have an obligation Makes sense to bless others. 
It's, it's a condition we fulfill. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's only possible because of the gospel, but when you fulfill it, <laughs> you're commended. Peter is not teaching that our future blessing is something we earn. It, it comes to us only because of the grace of God. He makes that clear throughout this epistle. He, he says we're being protected by the power of God through faith. He doesn't say we're being protected through works. He's not teaching that. And verse 9 is clear that this blessing is inherited. It's not earned. It's a gift. But the evidence that we've been born of God and transformed is we don't retaliate. We don't return evil. We're not hostile to a hostile world around us. We don't insult people who insult us. We respond differently. That's what commends the gospel because it's evidence something supernatural is going on in that life. And so it's a condition in that sense. So now in verse 10, Peter begins for, because, and then he gives us verses from one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 34. And we're going to just take the next few hours to camp out in Psalm 34, because it is one of my favorite Psalms. It's one of my favorite songs because I am a timid guy, and I know nobody in here believes that, but, but trust me. I am a timid guy. I always have been. And, and David taught me in Psalm 34 how to seek the Lord and be delivered from all my fears. And I am so thankful. And I love this psalm. It's an ancient recipe for a happy life. Spurgeon said, the art of living joyfully is not given to all men to know. That's what Psalm 34 is. The art, this is how you live joyfully. You want a happy life? This is it. David is teaching the fear of the Lord. We know that because in the verses prior to the verses that Peter quotes, he says, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And then he goes into the verses that Peter quotes. It's a psalm of David in exhorting God's people to fear the Lord. And Peter understands that the fear of the Lord is what believers need when they find themselves living in a hostile world and are called to live for the glory of God. He knows what we need is Psalm 34. And we have a new book on the fear of the Lord that I'm very excited about. 
It's written by a guy named Michael Reeves in the bookstore. I want to read you a quote from him in his book, Rejoice and Tremble. It is worth noticing how anxious our culture has become. Seeing where our society now is can help us understand why we have a problem with fear and why the fear of God is just the tonic we need. These days, it seems everyone's talking about a culture of fear. From Twitter to television, we fret about global terrorism, extreme weather, pandemics, political turmoil. In political campaigns and elections, we routinely see fear rhetoric, I hate it, used by politicians who recognize that fear drives voting patterns. We're flooded with more causes of worry than ever. Fears that once we would never have shared cross the world in seconds. And as a whole, we're increasingly anxious and uncertain culture. The certain safety we long for evades us, leaving us feeling vulnerable, even though we live more safely than ever before. From seatbelts to airbags in our cars to the removal of lead paint and asbestos from our homes, our safety is guarded more than our shorter-lived ancestors could have imagined. Yet protected like never before, we are skittish and panicky like never before. We are panicky. It's a culture. Our culture is fearful, aren't they? They're afraid. I, I would encourage you when someone's hostile, just remember they're, they're scared. One of the reasons that they're responding the way they respond, they're scared. Mr. Reeves says that trying to understand why our culture is so fearful, why it puzzles scholars. Everybody recognizes they can't figure out why. He thinks it's because the root is, is deeper than they realize. The reason for all the fear is the loss of. The fear of God, the proper object, that's what the Puritans used to call it, the proper object of our fear. We've lost the fear of God, so we're terrified. Again, Michael Reeves, with society having lost God as the proper object of healthy fear, our culture is necessarily becoming ever more neurotic, ever more anxious about the unknown. Indeed, ever more anxious about anything and everything. And the Lord plops us down in the midst of this. And our calling is to live by the fear of God. Live with the fear of God calmly in the midst of an anxious culture. So he dives into Psalm 34, verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil. That's exactly what he just taught us in verse 9. And his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace. Let him pursue it. 
Now David's teaching the fear of the Lord. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. So we had a moment of prophetic ministry today. Donna and Bruce both sharing. They just sensing the Lord wanted to call us to prayer. Let us know when you see the dark clouds, there's... There's a ray of hope behind it. Pray. The Lord's calling us to prayer. This verse is calling us to prayer. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. May not look like it, but he's, his eyes are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The fear of the Lord is a fear that keeps us from turning away from God. It keeps us from drawing back. It's the soul of godliness. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of the knowledge of God. It's not a, it's not a fear of punishment. A fear of the Lord is motivated by how good He is. We fear Him because of all the good He does. It's a fear that leans to the Lord because of his goodness. Here's a Puritan, William Gouge. When the heart of man has once felt a sweet taste of God's goodness and found that in his favor only all happiness consists, it is stricken with an inward awe and reverence. That's the fear of the Lord. It's sweet taste of God's goodness then you fear him that's that's what it means to fear the lord it brings a happy fullness to your life it doesn't come from thinking of god as bad or dangerous it comes from perceiving him as glorious verse 10 again whoever desires to love life do you desire to love your life do you desire to see Good days, it's, it's a double statement. It's saying, you want a happy life? This is how Psalm 34 is all about the happy life. Who wants a happy life? You want a life you love. It's about the quality of life. It's the, it's the kind of life everybody wants. That's what he's teaching us about. Who desires to love life? Who, who desires to see good Days. Don't be deceived, especially to the young, I would say. Don't be deceived. Do you want to love your life when you're old as mud like me? It doesn't come from indulging the flesh. It comes from redemption. <laughs> and Peter and David are thinking about life here and now. And Peter is convinced that life can be good, can be worth living, even in spite of, even in the midst of a world that is hostile to your faith. If you're a person that desires to have a quality of life like this, he's speaking to you. Psalm 34 confirms that, that what Peter says in verse 9 is true. That's why Peter went to the Word of God to show this is how God's people 
live. And why, why do we live like that? Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to the prayer. His face is against those who do evil. Let this build your faith this morning. Let it encourage your fear of God. The, the happy life is a life lived according to God's will, knowing that he is in control and that he is watching and he is hearing. That's where the happy life comes from. Listen, God is an infinite God. And our language is often inadequate for describing him. We can't fully grasp God with our words. So it's necessary at times to paint pictures so that we can grasp the essence of God. David is describing God in images that our finite world, our finite minds can comprehend. A.W. Tozer famously said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And David describes God with language that pictures him with these human characteristics about his eye, the eyes of the Lord, his ears, his face, even though God does not have a literal body. He's a spirit. But, but, but he's teaching us something about the essence of God when he says the eyes of God, the eyes of the Lord. It's a way to convey he knows everything. You don't get anything past him. He sees all things. The wicked will not escape his judgment. The righteous will never lack his care. That's who he is. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's in control. He's watching the persecutors. And he's watching the persecuted. He sees. You know, our movies today reflect... This culture that doesn't that has lost the fear of God. So often in movies, used to be back in the day, everybody always lived happily ever, ever after. The good guy got the good girl and everybody was happy. And it was just you left the movies feeling good. Not anymore. Not anymore. That's just not the way it is. And the reason the movie makers do this is because it doesn't reflect the reality they know about. They're looking around, that's, that's fake. Hollywood was lying to you. This is not really how life works out. I've lived long enough, not me, but the guy making the movie, I've lived long enough to know that's just not the way it worked out in my life or anybody I know. So I'm not going to make these movies that aren't real. And often the, the evil guy prospers. Often the good guy, things go bad for him. Well, the reality is that God has set his throne in the heavens. The truth is he rules over all his creatures. He is watching. And he sets his face against the wicked. But his ears 
are open to the prayers of the righteous. Ed Welch is a biblical counselor. He said, the better we know Jesus, the more a psalm-like structure will guide us through our fears. Psalms begin with fear, move toward the faithfulness of the Lord, and end with confidence and hope. That's a good biblical counselor. A psalm-like structure. We begin with fear. I, I wake up every single morning afraid. I'm not a psychotic. I'm a neurotic. Okay? <laughs> Psychotics don't know about reality. Neurotics, we know and we're worried about it. <laughs> I wake up afraid, move toward the faithfulness of the Lord, and end with confidence and hope. Fear is always an opportunity to grow in faith. We recently moved, and I was pretty much terrified every day for a couple months. Every single day, I just had something to worry about. Now, if you're 60 years old, you've been in your house for 24 years, trust me, it's terrifying. At least if you're like me and you're timid. And it was just every single morning, even after I moved into the house, there was still so much. On Christmas Eve morning, my wife Sherry, who has more faith than I do, sent me this quote from her checkbook of the Bank of Faith. And the reason she has more faith is because she reads it religiously. It's Charles Spurgeon's checkbook of the Bank. It's just filled with the promises of God. He said, on that particular morning, I was terrified. The devil is a liar from the beginning. But he is so very plausible that we are led to believe him. Yet in our experience, we shall prove him a liar. He tells us that our bread will fail. That's exactly what he was telling me. And we shall starve with our children. Now, I, I, I think my children will be fine. It's me that's going to starve. Yet the feeder of the ravens has not forgotten us yet. And he will never do so. but will prepare us a table in the presence of our enemies. He whispers, the devil whispers that the Lord will not deliver us out of the trial which is looming in the distance. What a liar he is, for the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. Let, a, let him deliver him now, cries the false friend, but the Lord will silence him by coming to our rescue. We will prove him a liar. In Psalm 34, verse 4, David says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. What a psalm for a culture of anxiety, a culture of fear. The happy life is freedom from fear and it's rooted in this fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. His eyes see. His ears hear. His face is for or his face is against. That's how you live in a world that is hostile to your faith. That's how you live 
and not repay evil for evil, insult for insult. That's how you bless those who curse you. And you will obtain a blessing. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word this morning. We're grateful for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for providing us with all that we need this morning. This morning, Lord, as we came to this meeting or watched via the live stream, Lord, we, we came as people who are needy and weak and need you, Lord. We need to cry out to you. We need your help. And how good of you this morning, Lord, to have us in your word and make these promises to you. Lord, we would like to confess that we fear the Lord because of your goodness. And Lord, we pray for you to fill us with faith so we live this week, Lord, in light of the fact that you are the God who is in control. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.